0: Welcome to Visionaries. I'm your host, Jacob Wolf, a former ESPN award-winning investigative journalist and the CEO and founder of Overcome. Today's episode, we're welcoming on Ben Brode, the former game director of Blizzard Entertainment's card game Hearthstone and the co-creator and chief development officer of Marvel Snap. If you're unfamiliar with Marvel Snap, it has taken off like lightning in a bottle over the past two and a half months. It is a six turn, sometimes seven, fast paced card game that you can get through games in about three minutes. It works on your mobile device. It does work on your computer. And what's been really interesting about it is how it's tapped into Marvel IP and built, like most card games, a bunch of different archetypes more broadly. It got so popular, and you'll hear Pray asked this later in the in the episode, it got so popular that Mikhail Klementov, our esteemed friend from the Washington Post video game section, wrote an article recently where he interviewed a gastroenterologist about how sitting on the toilet playing video games for too long could hurt you. And it was from his personal experience of playing marvel snap on the toilet so this game has gotten extremely popular they've had ads with samuel L. jackson reprising his role as nick fury they've done a bunch of other promotional stuff worked with a bunch of big creators and it's gotten a ton of downloads and a ton of engagement it's kind of perfect it's like the bite sizes the tiktok of mobile games i love it i love that you can get like through a game in three minutes ish it like has sort of to me at least some of the same dopamine of a funny tiktok the dopa hit so uh yeah, as always Prime's here with us. He asked Ben a question later in the interview. Prime, what did you think of that interview with Ben?
1: Ben's fun. Ben, the energy, man. Ben, yeah, <laughs> ben, ben Ben has such a just infectious energy, wild positivity about kind of creating this this game that feels equitable, it feels fun, it's quick, uh and the the kind of candor he has with everything he did with with Hearthstone as uh, and his time prior to Hearthstone at Blizzard like yeah it was it was it's super fun I have I mean I've followed Ben now for like ten almost years since Hearthstone yeah. came out in like what late 2013 early 2014 I think I mean I remember playing that game in in beta and all of the news was coming through Ben so it was it's it's really fun as someone who's been a fan same with fantano uh, what last week where it's just like huh you're great in person (laughs) i've been watching you for 10 years yeah, it, it was a really
0: interesting discussion. We focused a lot on building kind of the game because we hadn't had an episode like that in a while. We've had a few different game devs on this show. Adam Boyce, who is the co-CEO of Iron Galaxy, who make Rumbleverse, the Battle Royale wrestling game. We also started off, Visionaries, actually, with an interview with Marcus Bromander, who's the co-creator of Among Us, another indie studio that survived somewhat by happenstance thanks to the pandemic. You know, a bunch of streamers got into, like, party games and among us was one of those things. And now it's a multi-billion dollar title, you know, like it's incredibly impressive work uh, from there. And I would encourage our audience to go back to listen to those episodes. But one thing that happened in this interview, similar to the boys one is when Adam boys is on. And before he was the co-CEO of iron galaxy, he was also a part of PlayStation and helped launch the PlayStation four. He came on shortly after an email that Jason Schreier, also a guest on this podcast uh, at Bloomberg had published a story about Jim Ryan and the CEO of PlayStation on the America side of things and sort of his, what he had to say about employees and labor issues and dynamics and political opinions. And that was extremely controversial. A lot of people were upset at PlayStation about that. And, You know, Adam didn't work there when that happened, but we did ask him ask Adam about how that changes culture and the changing shift in the games industry through the pandemic all the way to present. The games industry has had a little bit of its own Me Too movement where a lot of people are being outed as being sexual harassers and treating people unfairly. We've had a labor revolution this year where a bunch of studios, namely at Activision Blizzard, actually, are starting to unionize. Their studio, Raven Software, unionized. They're in the process of unionizing Blizzard Albany, which is one of their third-party studios, known previously as Vicarious Visions. And so, you know, Ben worked there for a long time, and he left uh, several years ago, four and some odd years ago. Uh, so he wasn't a part of like when the you know California Civil Rights Department. Filed a lawsuit last summer against Activision Blizzard for sexual harassment. But I did ask him about it, and I think he gave it's towards the end of the interview, but he gave a really profound answer. I think about the issues there and how it makes him think as an executive differently too.
1: I think that's kind of par for the course with anyone who's who's from Blizzard. Um, it it's a hard conversation to have, especially with Blizzard being such a a mainstay of the gaming industry. Uh, Having having someone who can kind of reflect upon their time there, as well as how the issues that arose in 2018, 2019, and on uh, have have impacted their perspectives on being a CEO, being a a, a head of a small team, uh, I think that's that's important for anyone in in a similar space. If you're if you're starting a new team, it's, it's really valuable to to hear those perspectives and and to be able to integrate those kind of those subtle understandings into the way in which you work with with your team your employees whatever
0: it's a difficult topic it's something i'm glad that he answered so candidly about how to build a culture it's something like to second dinner their new studio that's developing marvel snap you got to get it right from the beginning and i'm glad at least that our industry is thinking about that from from the perspective you know something i pointed out as a, a fellow startup founder certainly not the size of of what ben is doing now but you know it's it can be so easy to get wrapped up in the performance of what you're doing that sometimes you can just leave people behind and you you have to think about it. You have to have a very active thought in your brain as a leader about how do people feel about their mental health? How do they feel about their workplace? And opening where it's like, hey, if there's something wrong, we'll fix it. and We'll fix it together. We'll make everything a better place. You want people to feel like they're truly a part of it and you know we see a lot of the big studios like activision blizzard and riot games going through their own issues with this but it it does make me a little bit more hopeful that someone like ben and and adam previously on the previous interview you know talked about this and and think about it in that sort of way so we'll we'll dive right into it i think it was a really good interview so now for our interview with ben brode the co-creator of marvel snap Ben, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me. I'm super excited to be here.
0: I I appreciate the energy. It's uh, it, it matches your energy on stage from all the BlizzCons of old. So it's uh, it's nice to know that it's genuine.
2: It's my it's my. I like to tell people it's my superpower. I have the ability to like uh, to go into the batteries and and uh, extract whatever I whatever I need.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it feels. It was always like I like BlizzCon feels like a ride. It'd be like Jeff like doing the Overwatch presentation, and he like. Very serious, kind of locked in. Like it's funny when Jeff has energy, but like it's not. It doesn't feel like it's super serious. And like you do a Hearthstone presentation same day or the next day, and it'd just be like, whoa, like yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's it's uh it's an interesting dichotomy and and uh, comparing the two to the others. Um, so yeah, I I want to kind of through this interview, I want to talk about both both pieces and both things. I do want to talk about a little bit of your current Activision Blizzard and your decision to leave, and then what now you're doing with Second Dinner, and obviously. Marvel Snap being highly successful. Uh, I've been enjoying playing it for the, the past few weeks. So um, I want to cover kind of both areas. When did you, you know, working on on Hearthstone at Blizzard, the card game for those unfamiliar, that was wildly popular and then deciding to leave that to kind of go on your own. What was the sort of impetus behind that that decision?
2: Well, I mean, the biggest the biggest thing for me is that I really loved working with Hamilton Chu, who was the executive producer on Hearthstone for the whole 10 years that I was there. Uh, and uh, he is the CEO of Second Dinner. And so, uh, you know, I just, we work really well together. He's an incredible person. I knew that uh, if if I was ever going to do this thing, that I would be successful if Hamilton Chu was doing it. <laughs> I don't think I could do it on my own. So Uh, There was this moment where we talked and we're like, hey, maybe this is the time, you know, we're, we've been doing Hearthstone for 10 years together. Uh, What if we did something new?
0: Was there like any frustration with how things were going at Hearthstone? Did you feel like you had reached your sort of like, whether that be on the game development side in terms of, you know, the actual development of the game itself, that it maybe hit a ceiling of any kind or like, did was that part of, uh, explain if you don't mind sort of the rationale on, on the actual stepping away.
2: No, there was no frustration at all. I, I was, I actually really loved my job on the Hearthstone team. It was uh, something I had like literally considered zero about leaving. I kind of imagined myself as being, there for the entire rest of my career you know just like associating myself with this game that i helped uh you know in in my way help you know bring into the world uh and then uh you know after shipping the game and eventually moving more into a leadership management role you know i was no longer designing cards and adventures and you know that stuff i was doing you know, helping run the team and empowering other people to do those things. And it had been a while since I got my hands dirty and got to like build a thing. And so the thought of doing that again and, you know, you know, writing code and, you know, trying, trying stuff and failing and trying new stuff. It's such an exciting loop that uh, it was, it, it pulled, it, it was, a, it was a big pull. So there was nothing really that pushed me away. It was, it was
0: the excitement of the unknown and, getting back to what I think I'm really good at. Did you always know that card games was gonna be what was next too? Like, did you come out of that knowing like, we wanna do another card game? Definitely not. So uh, we
2: intentionally came up with no ideas while we were working for Blizzard because those ideas would be owned by Blizzard. Like, it's the nature of being an employee is that, you know, you create stuff for the company you work for. So we just said, look, let's not talk about any ideas. Like, we're going to start this company, and then day one, we'll be like, okay, time to come up with some ideas. So, the first thing we did was, like, get a whiteboard from, uh, you know, we, we had no money, right? We're just, like, yeah. you know, two doofuses with no jobs. <laughs> we, uh, we went out to uh, Staples and got the cheapest whiteboard they had, and we had to choose between Expo markers or, like, the, the very off-brand Dry erase markers. We chose the off-brand, which was a huge mistake. They were almost useless dry erase markers. But this is the you know, this is the stage that we're at, and we wrote a bunch of ideas for like different games we might want to explore, and we actually prototyped a bunch of different stuff uh, before eventually, finally deciding to prototype a card game.
0: You know, I know in 2019 that you all both got a $30 million investment, which in in this current economy seems wild. It doesn't matter, I think, how experienced you are in a world where, like, venture seed investment is, is so, like, incredibly difficult for everyone to fundraise, even in the games industry, which is, like, still kind of lightning in the bottle from a game development perspective. Uh, and then you got the Marvel license simultaneously. It, you know, was were you pretty set on doing ultimately what Snap is today prior to all of that? Or or was that sort of a catalyst to move into building this? Because obviously it's such a rich IP, Marvel, Marvel IP is. Yeah,
2: no. The, the, so we announced those deals in 2019, but they happened in 2018 very quickly after we started the company. And
1: mm. so we
2: did not have a game idea at the time where um, we got our initial investment. Uh, and we did not have a game idea at the time in which we started talking to Marvel about making a Marvel game. In fact, that was what helped us determine what kind of game to make. You know, we had, we had a couple ideas for some really fun things, but when we imagined like tweaking those ideas to make them Marvel games, it didn't feel like we were doing justice to the Marvel IP. It felt like we needed to from scratch design a game that would be just like a perfect Marvel yeah. game. And so that's that's that was like the impetus for Marvel Snap is we wanted to focus on the heroes and villains and make a card game where that's the start. There's only one card type in Marvel Snap. It's just the heroes and villains of the Marvel Universe.
0: Walk me through the process of getting that IP because, you know, I actually in 2020 at the end of 2020, got the opportunity to interview a couple different times. Uh, some of the folks from the insomnia side of things. And obviously they have a really deep relationship with Marvel games. And I got to interview uh, Bill Roseman as well from the Marvel oh, side awesome. of it and uh, on the license front. So I got to understand a little bit of the collaboration process that Marvel has with games. And I think, you know, Disney is uh, Disney is not opted at least at this point to kind of create an internal game studio or like, you know, kind of self, do everything all to build up. It, you know, they are still in the license game, like news this year that they've licensed out certain Marvel IPs to EA as well for them to go build things after success with things like Jedi Fallen Order in the single-player field. So what was it like going to get that IP and working through that process?
2: Uh, well, it was a pleasure. So I'll give you the, the, the backstory there is that the guy who runs Marvel Games, his name is Jay Ong. He's an incredible human. And he used to work at Blizzard with Hamilton and I. And so when he went over to run that, that org he had, like his vision is to just like make awesome games. Like the, the, the world, you know, since Jay is just like the Marvel games a bit off the chain, you know, they're just incredible games. And uh, a lot of that is his, you know, vision and the team he put together is just like insane, right? Like Bill Roseman's just like, one of the best humans yep. ever to live, <laughs> like, really nice their guy. Business, yeah. Their business team is like absolutely bonkers. I used to work in in licensing at Blizzard, and we were just not even close to as good as this this Marvel Games team. It's like, it's stunning. So uh, he was reaching out to you know find partners that could execute his like incredibly uh, 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 like inspirational, aggressive vision for awesome Marvel stuff and he called up hamilton say hey, look i know you guys can make awesome stuff uh if you start a studio you know we should work together we should we should make something so uh we we kind of had the inkling that we might be able to work with marvel even before we we started the studio we, we you know we you never know but uh we were you know obviously we're huge marvel fans and you know they were looking for for partners who can make awesome stuff you know they, they, they release things that make an impact on the industry and really you know subvert expectations especially for what like a mobile game could be.
0: Yeah, when I did that interview with Bill a couple of years ago, something that we talked about a lot was sort of how they how they enhanced the IP. I mean, it was very clear him being on the other side of the video call then that like I was dealing with somebody who was a comic book nerd and like interviewing somebody who was a comic book nerd and really liked the lore and the history of yeah. of this IP and tapping and finding and and yeah, helped I think, create it right like yeah <laughs> like, yeah, oh, yeah what a legend <laughs> yeah. you know one thing that's very clear about y'all's game is and and it's even hinted at in like what you know the trailer that you all made with samuel l jackson where he's reprising his role as nick fury that like you know and squirrel girl is like one of the lines in that trailer and it's like these are not just like this is not just the avengers mcu level heroes that are in this game that have a lot of depth like you guys are really pulling from sort of the catacombs and, uh, you know, corners of the Marvel universe that are bigger than just, and deeper than just kind of what people are familiar with in general entertainment. So walk me through a little bit of that and like, you know, w- how you chose kind of what to tap into and working with Marvel to figure that out. Yeah.
2: Well, it, it's interesting because every expression of Marvel is potentially someone's first experience with Marvel, right? Yeah. Like, some, for some people, it was the movies. For some people, it was the old TV shows. For some people, it was the comic books. For some people, it was Marvel versus Capcom 2. Or, you know, my son's first experience with Spider-Man was the, the Miles Morales PS5 game, you know? And, yep. uh, like, everyone's got some, like, in. And it's it's really fun... To also, even if it's not your first in, to have like every time you do make contact with the the, the incredible 80 plus year universe that is Marvel to like deepen your relationship with the IP in the world. The universe always feels bigger and more expansive than you thought it was previously. And so, you know, it's not just about, you know, Captain America and Iron Man or whatever. It's about it's about the whole world. And so yeah, we intentionally we just to do all the big stuff, right? We like all this st- all the characters you know are in there. But like we went we went deep, right? We went like you know to Infinite Odd and Leech and yep. uh, you know a bunch of characters that probably most people don't know about. And some of that stuff comes from just like my favorite comic books, right? Like I really enjoyed the ultimate series with uh, Black Panther, Captain America, America Chavez, uh, Captain Marvel, uh Spectrum, and like, you know, their their stupid team with like Yep. Uh Infinite and Galactus and like it's like an insane comic book series. I loved it. And uh the infinat was just such a fun character. So like I was like, hey, screw it. We're gonna make we're gonna make an Infinite card.
0: <laughs> it is uh incredibly annoying. Well done. Yeah. Uh, <laughs>
2: do you know the Lord of Infinite? Here's here's why he does what he does. So in the in, the, in that in that story, there's a moment where people are like, yo, this this entity is coming to Earth, he's so big. That if he successfully comes through, his gravity will destroy Earth. So, like, we just gotta stop him from getting here. And uh, so they could tell he's coming, and they have to, like, you know, do a bunch of ultimate crap to, like, to, like, just shut it all down. Because uh, if he ever comes through, it's it's over. It's over for Earth. And it's such a uh, uh, the card in Marvel Snap is you can't if you want to play him. He's huge, but you can't do anything to turn before. So you can tell when he's coming. But if he arrives, it's 20 power. It's like the most powerful card of the game. But you yeah. could tell that he's coming. You got to stop him.
0: Yeah, and I think that uh, that's one of the other things I wanted to cover a little bit about the game because you you previously worked on, on Hearthstone and Hearthstone is like, very involved it takes to be competitive at it you have to now there's so many damn cards like there's so much history there right because of the way that the seasons have worked and all the expansions have worked that like it takes a long time to come into something like brand new right and i would say like i started with snap personally playing the game eh, a couple weeks late did everybody else like after y'all sort of went in and did like the full launch right like i came in at the, the back end i think of the uh carnage was sort yeah, of symbiote, symbiote yeah, yeah, the symbi- yeah the symbiote yeah the symbiote season and so i was a few weeks late but i caught up like relatively quickly where i could like play other people and i think one of the things that's really interesting about it is, and i'd love kind of your thoughts on the broader trend of kind of how mobile entertainment works but you know it's bite-sized it's nice that you can get through a snap game in like three minutes right like it's just, it's like six turn uh, you know, not super fast, but relatively fast time limit on each turn, and like you've got to move it quick. It, it like it both simulates that like brain power and challenge of a card game, but it makes you think quickly rather than it being like Magic the Gathering or Hearthstone or others where it's like this kind of longer planned out. Like yeah, you know, those are those are marathons. This is a sprint. So, yeah. and what's interesting about that is how much mobile entertainment has changed, specifically in the broader scale of the past two years of everybody stuck inside, like TikTok becoming so big, you know, YouTube launching into shorts, kind of like everybody wants that instant, like 60 second Doba hit the laugh or whatever else. And so like, is that something you were thinking about when you built this game and how quickly and fast paced it is in itself?
2: Well, I'll tell you that my son was born the exact day we were celebrating the launch of Hearthstone. And it changed a lot about the way that I found myself able to play games. And I went from it being, you know, delighted to sit down for four hours of raiding, <laughs> to just like sneaking in some games, you know, now and then. And I needed, I, I wanted, I wanted the game that fit my lifestyle better. And I was very inspired by Clash Royale, which, you know, I had. I look mm-hmm. at my watch. I'm like, I got five minutes till this meeting starts. I could jam one game of Clash Royale for sure because it can it cannot play longer than five minutes. And I just felt like that's such a, a huge advantage of mobile is it's right there and you can you can squeeze it in you can get a quick game yep. in. i'm waiting for you know this thing to happen i'm waiting for my in and out burger or whatever like oh i gotta get more snapping you know and it's just uh it's just like a just a, it's so easy to fit into your life you know especially if your life is chaotic or there's a lot going on you know you want you want little bite-sized experiences so for me i i just it's what i craved you know it's what i, I wanted most was i love card games i love collecting and I want to be able to just jam a couple games in whenever my my life allows it.
0: The next part I wanted to ask about that very specifically is the balance of like competitive and sort of the minority minority voice, not eth- or ethnically or racially, but the minority voice and the people that are the loudest about card games, right? Like card games are a very rich TCGs and CCGs are very rich in genre. People like them to be hyper competitive, right? Things like Magic and others that are or, or Pokemon played in person. You know, eventually, yep. dig- digital shifted Hearthstone. Obviously, pioneering a bunch of that, and then you know, MTG Arena and other things coming out since, and and so like, in a way, I ha- I haven't personally seen as much of this feedback, which is like surprising to me. But I'm sure there are some people that like think Marvel Snap is sacrilegious because it's not this like deep competitive esports, comp- you know competition title talk talking to me about that balance and like you know not listening to that and just kind of focusing on kind of the broader vision of what you wanted to do i mean you're right that most people don't compete in card games
2: right but it's a very loud you know uh engaged part of the player base and i think actually that, that part is very important you you can have a, a game that appeals to many different types of people right like i i play yep. a lot of magic the gathering but i don't ever play in tournaments right it's just like yeah you know, it's just how there's lots of ways to enjoy card games. And, you know, right now in Marvel Snap, there's just no way to play a specific other player. So you can't play a tournament. There's no way to be competitive in a way that has like the stakes associated with tournaments. And we're building that feature uh, and it's really fun. We're really excited about it, but uh, it doesn't exist in the game right now. So we're still like a month or two away from from that. But it's this really different thing, right? Other card games you could go in, like if you wanted to compete in Hearthstone or Magic right now you could go to the card shop or into the shop or whatever and just spend hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars and just get every card you don't need every card to be competitive right you just need to get one right. deck that you, that you think is really good but you could just you could you could skip to the end of the collection process just get the stuff you need uh in in Marvel Snap you cannot right it's about the journey it's about you know I, ha- yeah. I might have a different collection than everybody else who's playing Marvel Snap right now right like it's just you don't get cards in the same order you have to Slowly build, build progress towards it, right? It's about getting a new card and really focusing on the new card, and you know, learning the ins and outs of it, and and adapting uh, to your specific situation, your strengths and weaknesses. And you could target a little bit. You can, you know, get that one card you really want from the token shop if you're really obsessed with you know getting that particular deck working. But it's a much it's a much different paradigm. For card games, and honestly, it was one of the biggest risks we took, because there is not there's nothing else quite like it. And uh, you know, for that for the audience who's used to spending thousands of dollars and getting everything they want right away, it's just we don't have we don't have that, and
0: uh, it's working out well towards the end and and we were laughing before we went on recording that i like sat in penn station and spent like 350 bucks on hearthstone one day during a train delay like part of what bothered me and drove me away from hearthstone as a game frankly is what felt kind of like predatory monetization the fact that like to be good at it to get the cards like not only did i have to get really lucky opening packs but to like get kind of the cards that were in meta that were the best cards in any given you know, month or whatever, depending on patch time, it was a lot of spending, a lot of, a lot of spending. And and I think a lot of people grew frustrated with Hurt and that over time uh, versus something like League of Legends, for example, which I think is, I've made that comparison to Snap and the leveling system is like, yeah, you can, you can get to a certain place in Snap faster by spending money on things like the Battle Pass, et cetera, but you don't have to, it's an optional spend, right? It's not a sort of, you have to spend to be good at this. And did the way that Hearthstone ended up finding itself from a monetary perspective influence that decision and how you were going to monetize Snap?
2: You know, I, I'll, I'll just say I, I actually love uh, packs. You know, I, I collected Marvel trading cards when I was a kid. I played a lot of Magic, and uh, it's just like something—it's just something like joyful. It's like opening a present. You know, I just love surprise, and I loved it. But uh, I think that model just didn't work for the type of game Marvel Snap is it's it's there's not like enough cards where we could sell packs and we would just like run out of stuff right it's just not there's not like a good analog in 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 the industry for how to do like monetization for a card game with 150 cards right it's just not right. there's nothing quite quite like it and so there, we it, like we had to spend an enormous amount of time trying to come up with a way that we would like be able to make enough money to survive <laughs> And, uh, and also be like a really fair and fun monetization model. And, uh, you know, we, it took like most of our development timeline to try and figure some of this stuff out. And I think at the end of the day, we ended up somewhere really, really fun, which is that, you know, you can, uh, you know, one of the biggest influences was Pokemon Go because it's a collectible game where you can't buy packs of Pokemon. You know, you can't just like buy right. the Pokemon you want. It would ruin it, right? It would, just be, <laughs> it would be lame. And yeah. instead, you have to work for the Pokemon, but you can pay to speed it up. Right, and so the really, really the players who are really dedicated can buy incubators and incense and lures yep. and stuff. They really want to, and uh, you know, and they can they can get stuff faster. But you don't have to. And you know, the way these things work is that most people don't pay any money, and that's great, right? It's like you want it. And you want that experience to feel really good, right? And you also want to offer things for players who do really want to spend money, so that you know we can keep the lights on and keep making more awesome cards.
0: I want to ask about that too, monetizing mobile games, because I think like we've seen a ton of like sort of call it uh, MVP stage mobile games launch like, you know, minimum viable product for the non-investor types that not in this call and listening, but sort of the MVP style mobile games and they get this massive pop, but then like nobody spends money on it. Right. Like and and I've like gone through like you, I've gone through a little bit more of this, like playing mobile games in my free time. So I spent like Several months and some money—thirty bucks, forty bucks on Beat Star because I like have a really big affinity for rhythm games in my yeah. my life and long history with Guitar Hero and Rock Band in, in the past as well. Yeah, we, I, we need a relaunch of, of of Rock Band so bad. What's going on? You need to call your old boss Bobby kodak and tell him to. I'll know, tell. I'll re- let him know. Re- <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. Relaunch. Relaunch. <laughs> I never Guitar met that Hero, guy. Please. But if you're listening, yeah. Bobby kodak come on. You got. You got the power. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah yeah so uh it's i i miss i miss those i play rhythm games beat beat saber and autica and stuff in vr but it's just it's oh, not yeah. it's not the, it's saber, not the same as so the like so this not as fun as the like peripheral you know yes of, uh, it, games it, yeah
2: what an incredible era for uh rhythm games those those yeah. few years were, oh,
0: absolutely and introduced people to a shit ton of new music it's awesome like i'm you know i'm a zillennial uh as as one would say and i found a lot of my music through rhythm games early yeah. on in my life which is it, it influence the way that I think about music. Mobile games is still sort of this like kind of untretched uh, system. It's still very young in in its way. And uh, you know, some do make a lot of money, but a lot don't. And so from a developer sort of executive hat of like you got P and L's and Projections to meet Like, how do you think about that and how you sort of the narrative telling that you're saying to players of like, hey, help us by, you know, I think it's even harder too with a younger audience, people that play your game, because like they generally don't think corporations need money. And so when they see something like a Marvel IP, right? Like they don't know, assuming they don't know who second dinner is and don't know that you guys are like a startup game studio that's actually behind it. But they say like Marvel and they're like, why the fuck does Marvel need money? Right? Like I already paid to see their stupid movies or whatever. Right? Like, like that people think that they do think that way. I think they truly do think that way, even if it is a small startup team. So yeah. How do you like fix that through the narrative? Our number one thing is we got to make a fun game,
2: right? If we don't, if we yeah. don't make a fun game, none of the rest of it, this just like nothing else matters. <laughs> yeah. So like we start there, we try and make something really fun that we're really proud of. And then, you know, ideally people feel like it's good value to, to spend money in the game. I, I often think about uh, bands and when they come out with a new album, your fav- when your favorite band comes out with a new album, you're like, I am psyched to buy the new album. I would love to spend money to get this new album. You know, it's just like it, it, spending money doesn't feel predatory or bad. It feels exciting. You know, like you're getting great yeah. value for your money. And that's like, that's the dream, right? Like, I, you know, I would, I would love to sell you something that you feel great about buying. That you're like, this is great. I, I'm getting so much entertainment out of this. I'm getting so much fun out of it. You know, let's do it. Yeah. That sounds, it's a good deal for me. I feel, I feel good about spending the money. And that's like, that's the goal. You know, if, if you, if you could get there, I think that you, then you're, you're, you're doing amazing stuff.
0: But how do you prioritize what's important? Like, I would imagine what's important right now since you guys are still, you know, kind of two months, two and a half months since you started doing your, you've been around longer than that with the game, but like the big launch, I think, started about two and a half months ago. October 18th. Um, Yeah, right. So, you know, we're about two-ish months out from when you started doing the huge marketing rollout and activating creators and putting out that trailer I was referencing earlier. Yep. You know, it's, uh, I would imagine at this current stage, downloads is the big important number. Just getting like, bunch of people in the game and and daily active users monthly active users etc eventually i'm sure revenue matters a lot more so like building that balance how is that built
2: i don't know man i'm just trying to make fun video games (laughs) (laughs) you know you're right at the end of the day right like you you're advertising if you spend more money on advertising than the money that you're bringing in then yeah you're like you're negative right like it's just not you're not gonna survive very long you know, but if at the end of the day people, you know, enjoy what you're building and want to spend money on it and you're you can make more money than you spent, then you have you have extra money and it's great. You can keep making video games, right? You can make more video games. So that's the that's the dream is that someday we make, you know, more money than we spend. And then we can make more video games. And we can keep making Marvel Snap. But like the 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 path there that I focus on is is this game super fun? Right? If like players are could, yeah. you know. There's all these numbers that you know like people call them KPIs and stuff, and it's like at the end of the day it boils down to our players continuing to play the game and having a great time playing it. And uh if they do, and you have like opportunity for them to spend money, and they spend money, then eventually the the numbers will work out, right? And like you know, yeah, we want to like boost numbers by ten percent, you know, whatever. But like you know, it's make it fun. That's the most important thing.
0: Next part I want to ask is kind of sort of a two-parter. First, I want to ask about actually, like, the card ideas and the way that they work with one another. So, like, obviously, like like any card game, there are synergies, right? Uh, right now I'm running in Marvel Snap, a sort of apocalypse, culling wing, like, you know, sort of destroy, discard deck that's, you know... For those uninitiated in the Marvel Marvel Snap player base here, essentially your goal is to destroy this one card as many t- times as humanly possible. He gains six power every time you do it. You drop him on the field and he's just like this massive thing that ends the game and you win it all out. Um, You know, I was playing a Carnage, uh, Carnage based deck where you just want to destroy a bunch of things and power up Nova and whatever else. But, you know, like it's very clear that that those synergies exist. But how are you coming up with those synergies and thinking about the long term path of like introducing new things while continuing to build out the ones that already exist?
2: In general, when you're designing cards, you have to imagine what we call the design space. So there are different elements of the game. There are cards, there's two numbers on each card, there are locations, there's zones, right? Like your hand, the, the locations, the discard pile, uh, yep. there's uh, ways that those interact. You can move between zones, you can create new cards, you can add power, you can remove power, you can increase cost, you can reduce cost. And and this, all of this stuff, the ways in which these different elements interact, that's the design space. And if you fill the design space with every possible card, You've just made every, like, just there's an Excel sheet of a zero, zero, a zero, one, a zero, two, a zero, three, a one, one, a one, two, you know, like, like everything with every piece of card. To, there's like a finite ish number, you know, especially of like realistically good stuff. And so as designers, we're kind of just like going, we're like, what, what is possible? Oh, you could move a card from your hand to the discard pile. That's discard a card. Okay, that's interesting. You could move a, when a card tries to be discarded, you could put it back in your hand with extra power. You know, and so you're kind of, like, running through all of this stuff. The other thing is, once we create a card, let's say we create a card with a downside, one of the most fun things for players to do is, like, overcome a downside, right? Like, oh, I was going to discard a card, but instead, I just make Apocalypse stronger, put it back in my hand. I'm a genius! You know, like, it's a really fun uh, thing for players to solve. So often when we make a card with a downside, it's really a puzzle for players to figure out, like, how can I get around, you know, this, this downside? Uh, A lot of the time, we look for narrow designs. So uh, a design where you don't just throw it into any deck, but it does something very specific. Like Silver Surfer in the new Season Pass gives your three-cost cards a bonus. Normally, you wouldn't play a lot of three-cost cards, but with this card, you you would build your deck a little differently. What cards inspire you to build your deck a little bit differently? Uh, So those are all things that we're thinking about. And in general, we look at, you know, player sentiment and power numbers and think like hey does the move deck need more assistance do we want to have enough cards that you could build three different move decks what kinds of ways can we push that deck so there's like thinking about it from the decks that exist thinking about it from the design space that exists and then thinking about it from you know creating new deck types that uh, we could we could push in the future
0: i think the hard part and we saw hearthstone struggle with this a little bit is that as you introduce new things, you don't want to nullify the old things, right? There's always competitive balance issues in any game like this, where like you're competing against someone else. There are going to be some things that are better than others. There are going to be some cards depending on balance, like that are going to be better than others. Maybe something new comes out like, like silver server or whatever, that kind of changes that dynamic and, you know, reshuffles kind of how, how things work. But like one thing I think Kurtson did struggle with sometimes is based on balance when a new card or a new set of cards would come out and you you'd reshuffle those decks it would nullify sort of the past you know some of the historic catalog some of the historic catalog would basically be unplayable because the other thing was such hard counter how do you think about that balance in planning forward now that you are and and on a pretty rapid pace you're putting out like fairly new card you know you're putting out like a new card a month at this point with the battle pass well actually or, we're, or, we're about to
2: start releasing a new card every week which is the right. I think with the fastest pace of new content of any collectible card game uh I will say though that overall, the total number of cards a year is smaller than than basically every other card game as well, because one card a week is still fifty two cards a year. It, you know that there's more than fifty two cards in a single expansion for almost any other card game, right? So it's just not like going to shove the old stuff out at like a faster uh, pace that that like you know people may be used to from other card games. The other thing is like there's there's huge pros and cons to this, right? Like uh, as a developer of a, a like a pack based card game. Like, the reason you would want to make the new stuff more exciting than the old stuff is, yeah, you want to sell more packs, but also right. players want new problems to solve, right? They're right. like, the meta's yep. stale. Like, change it. Give me something new. Give me something to sink my teeth into. You know, like, I want I want new experiences, right? And if you release stuff that's less powerful than all the stuff that's out there already, it's not, like, why did you bother? Right. It doesn't change anything, right? Like, the best decks are the decks I've played 100,000 times, you know? So you want new experiences. One of the interesting things about Marvel Snap is that the locations create new experiences every game. You know, we may have played yeah. the same decks over and over and over and over again, but never at, you know, Bar Sinister and Lamentus 1. And, I hate Lamentous you know, one. Luke's God, Bar. It. <laughs> it's so but that, it, it, it creates such a unique experience, right? Every single game of Marvel Snap you play is completely different, and you have to adapt on the fly
0: and figure out how to play your deck in this in this new scenario that that's a good point the locations again for those not initiated into this game is you know each one has how many locations have there been uh, total oh it's
2: probably 75 something like that we launched with around 60 and there's we launch a new one every week, so.
0: <laughs> yeah. So for those unfamiliar, you know, the, the way the game works is three locations. You have to choose where you can play. Each location has different abilities. They sometimes they spawn stuff. Sometimes they close after a certain turn. Sometimes you put something there and it clones them in hand. Sometimes you put something there and it clones them on the all locations. So you have you know four of the same cards. Basically, you can play up to four 12 total cards across your board uh and and it does present a very unique challenge i love the green goblin hobgoblin on uh, the cloning cloning ones <laughs> less, like, <laughs> yeah yeah it's like super troll over the weekend, very, really, weekend. yeah 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 so and for again green goblin hobgoblin that sends it to the other side and it like basically negate you know lowers your power and whoever has the power on two or three of the most or two or three of the locations that that's who wins I hope I did a good job of summarizing that. I'm yeah, it was uh, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's, yeah. It,
2: it, you know, we really tried to make the game incredibly easy to learn because the snap mechanic and the location mechanic are so deep that you still have tons of strategic depth even without, like, you know, reading a giant manual of, of rules. You can get right in and start having fun.
0: Yep. Yeah, and so the snap snap mechanic basically is you can, like, it's wagering, basically. It's like dopa dopa wagering. If you snap it doubles the amount of points if your opponent also snaps then it, you can get up to eight and that's how you rank up and unlock more stuff so but yeah it's uh i like that part too it's it's really funny when somebody snaps and then just gets absolutely clowned too. yeah like right just yeah. like they're <laughs> like the overconfidence i've definitely been that person a few times but it's, it's funny to like how many times i've found that person and also like i'm assuming these people are bots or like whatever but like the people who like on the uh, just do it every single time and do it like turn one and then oh, they yeah. like don't play energy synergies you know and, it's yeah. very
2: interesting if your win rate is uh very high it actually might be correct to snap on turn one but uh because because a lot of people just don't snap enough they're just not snapping when they could be pushing the limits and yeah it's
0: uh should be more risky in their play basically yeah, right yeah
2: I mean, look, it's very interesting, right? Because let's pretend you're winning, you know, 60% of your games, but when you win, you lose, you win you win one cube, but when you lose, you lose eight cubes. Like, you're going to be pretty pretty low on there. Even though your win rate's positive, you're not going to be a high rank. And the the alternative is you could be, like, winning only 40% of your games, but if you win eight cubes when you win and lose one cube when you lose, like, you're one of the best players on the rig ladder, you know, you're going to shoot up there. Uh, so it's such a huge part of the gameplay. And and that that incredible amount of, skill ceiling. It's so hard to like do I retreat? Do I push my luck here? Like it just means that we don't have to m- make a game that's like really complicated to get all that skill depth. There's tons of it already in that one mechanic.
0: It's interesting. And the next part I wanted to ask about the card development is you know, you are you're hitched to the Marvel IP and while that is like extremely in depth where you have cards that are raptors and squirrels or whatever else, right? Like there are like the smaller things you can add in yeah, there is a a limit granted, you know, 100 plus years of comic book making over there that like it's a pretty pretty big limit, but it is concerning like kind of how far you can go and like, you know, how many characters you can actually put and how do you and I guess the second part of that would be like how do you prioritize what does tap next basically as you guys develop.
2: Uh, I actually would contest that there's no limit. I know there's at least 8,000 Marvel characters that exist in in, you know, throughout Marvel's history we're, not, we're never gonna get close to that but also they're still making Marvel stuff right like there's right. new comics coming out weekly there's new tv shows and new movies and tons of stuff you know I keep getting tweet uh, twitter messages that people want to see Madison from uh the She-Hulk <laughs> show as a card right like you know she didn't exist you know as, as a character uh at least in the public consciousness that long ago right and and you know that's just how it goes, right? There's there's new stuff all the time. They're they're not they're not slowing down on Marvel. It's it's it feels like it's speeding up, and it's it's like really exciting to be part of this you know giant cultural force. They say somebody said this that Marvel is the greatest creative collaboration in history, right? So many creative people have added to and helped create this incredible world over so many years. It's kind of it's kind of stunning. So I'm not worried about running out of Running out of exciting source material to to pull from, uh, and how do we choose? Uh, you know, some of it is just you know what we're excited about, right? There's still characters that we're like really excited to explore that are like you know near and dear to our hearts, and you know like it depends on kind of what Marvel does and their other uh, forms of uh, of media, right? Like as as new movies yeah. come out and, and we love them. Right. Like maybe we should make some cards to explore that stuff.
0: Well, that's something, you know, contrasting this interview with the uh, interview I did with Brian Horton and Ben Arfman at Insomniac, who made the Spider-Man PlayStation games um, or worked on the PlayStation uh, Spider-Man games. You know, they there was a in those conversations, conversation I had with Bill Roseman for the feature I was working on two years ago was like, you know, not putting the pressure to sort of line up with the other things that Marvel is doing. You all kind of already have in some instances. So like you, you launched your Black Panther uh, Wakanda season at the same time that Wakanda forever came out. And how much of that is that balance? Like, you know, obviously, like it's exciting when you have a movie out, then, then you have the Marvel Snap Pack or Battle Pass that is, you know, one to one. But I'm sure at some points that can also kind of feel like a little bit limiting. So what is the balance there of like kind of lining up and kind of going on your own?
2: Yeah, I mean, we just kind of look at what the slate's like and what excites us, and and then uh, do do what we feel like is best. It's kind of a it's kind of a, a gut call, right? So we we, let, we were really excited about Wakanda Forever, and we wanted to line up our battle pass right Their season pass with with that, and the timing of the movie release with the timing of our season. You know, just kind of things work out, right? We hadn't released Black Panther yet as a card, and so it was just kind of a perfect alignment of things. But we also have like you know themes that we just like love from. Our history with you know other movies or our history with comic books that were just like oh you know be rad is to do something like this uh, and so we just kind of you know it's kind of it's kind of up to us right just like what what do we love what we're are the, we're, we're the, uh, we have to decide what we think is cool and then just make cool stuff.
0: Is there any directive to do that or is that sort of self-directed at the moment?
2: It's it's self-directed. We we like we're really heavily collaborative with Marvel so like we always say like, Hey, you know, what about this? What about that? And they'll talk about it. like, it's, it's kind of like, we're one team, you know? So we just, we talk about everything and jam on stuff and what we want to do.
0: I want to talk about the creative freedoms here because, you know, working now at a startup game studio that you co-founded and second dinner, even though you do have sort of the Marvel plug that you were just talking about, like in, I'm sure there are some like, you know, requirements and, and things you have to meet to, in that lane you are independent. You do have freedom. Uh, I'm sure there will be other second dinner games besides Marvel snap down the pipe that you guys are constantly thinking about what to prioritize and go chase and build and, and get excited about. Uh, But you used to, when you were at blizzard, blizzard is a very, I mean, they're a triple A studio, massive game, one of the biggest games publishers in the world. And they have like very, very stern directives. Like, you know, yeah, you can start projects, but you got to get a lot of buy-in. It's a whole different corporate culture. And, and so I want to, ask sort of if you could comparing and contrast what it was like working there and trying new things versus what you're doing now and and how the creative freedom really that you have and what you're doing.
2: You know, it's interesting. I w- worked 15 years at Blizzard, and the last 10 of which I worked exclusively on Hearthstone. And so it was not my... Uh, and I started on Hearthstone as an associate game designer. You know, so my like visibility into... The politics of starting new games is very limited, uh, so I don't know that I'm the you know the, the world's expert on you know how how Blizzard uh, you know started started things up. I know they did start; they have done a ton of incubation, you know that, that uh, people have heard about over the years. But uh, the the biggest thing about starting you know do, doing this stuff at Second Dinner is that what we we don't have anybody who is holding an ax over our head and saying, Hey, we might cancel your game at any point. Right. Like it's, we're, we're living mm. like we're, we're, we're going to live and die by our own, you know, our own decisions. Right. Like we, we have the power to, you know, just decide to keep going, but also like, you know, we, we could, we could screw it all up. <laughs> we don't have yep. anybody, you know, like above us you know, saving our butts necessarily either. So it's like in some ways, much riskier right because there's no support network of other games who are operating really well to you know save us when we set out a journey that doesn't work out luckily our journey worked out so far you know so you know that's been fine and then it's, it's just you know it's it's nice to be able to succeed or fail by your own you know by your own decisions by things that are in your control that's you know just a nice place to be in and it's just like it's just by its nature that's just not how big organizations work right they have you know not just a blizzard just anywhere right like co- companies have strategic yep. you know directives or things that they're trying and uh priorities change or whatever right it's just like stuff happens can- games get canceled throughout the industry you know constantly if, if we decided to cancel our own game it's like because we decided to do it not because someone else said we had to do it right so it's just that it's just like less fear inducing uh, of an environment to, to be in
0: well the other part though is there's not a net like at, at blizzard yeah, there's a certainly net. there's a yeah net there's there's a net like if you fail there's a net to catch catch you because you know like there are other things you didn't work on other games etc that like will offset pnl and you know make things look fine uh, or you know balance things out if something doesn't go well now there's not now you're a startup co-founder and like i've i feel this a lot having worked at ESPN and now being independent by choice like it walk me through like sort of the anxieties etc of that and how that feels now basically to think about like now it's now it's on all on you and and your team, basically, to figure this out? I, I, my brain's a little weird. So I'm a very optimistic
2: person. And so I don't uh, assess risk the same way other people do, right? Everything feels like not a risk to me because I just only see it from the most optimistic outcome <laughs> possible. So, you know, for... for you know, a lot of people might be afraid to, to take a big risk and leave your job with no source of income and try and start up a company and for me it just i kind of imagined it going well and so it didn't scare me quite as much just maybe it should have <laughs> i have to say it's your yeah. strengths are your weaknesses so in this case my weakness was exposing myself to incredible risk <laughs> but it, uh, i got very lucky here so it's uh, it's worked out we just had an incredible streak of luck both working with incredible partners getting unbelievable talent at second dinner the team here is freaking insane they're they're amazing like it's i've i've never worked with a more talented group of men and women uh than than at second dinner it is just it's just wild
0: you know we had adam boys the uh co-ceo of iron galaxy on the studio a few months ago and it was actually right in the wake and and for those unfamiliar please go listen to that episode but it uh you know adam is a former playstation executive he was there for a long time he helped Launched the PlayStation 4 um, and then decided to kind of go out on his own. And then they built, you know, a battle royale wrestling game, a Rumbleverse, uh, now that is doing pretty well for itself. And when we had him on, we talked a little bit about uh, it was shortly thereafter the Jim Ryan email talking about labor issues and it sort of inside the games industry your former employer Activision Blizzard has had a lot of that the past couple of years last summer for those unfamiliar uh, they received a lawsuit from the California Civil Rights Division alleging rampant sexual harassment across the company and it's been this incredible like just mudslinging 18 months of reporting that you know senior level executives like Bobby Kotick were aware of some of this and allegedly withheld that information from its board the SEC is investigating for this the you know US Equal Employment Opportunity Commission is settled a lawsuit the California CRD are still in a lawsuit that's ongoing. And then all through all of this, Microsoft is trying to acquire Activision Blizzard to, you know, and presumably fix some of this. They've already talked about that. Phil Spencer has. I want to ask kind of two questions on this. One, sort of your broader thoughts on what's happening there. And then two, I want to ask you a question afterwards after your answer about sort of how looking at everything that's happening there, how that impacts the way you're building a culture moving forward. So yeah, first, like what are your broader thoughts on what's happening at Activision Blizzard now?
2: Uh, I guess I, I, I'll say that I think broadly, these movements where traditionally people, like the, the power dynamics that made it very hard for people who have been harassed, uh, made it very difficult for them to be believed or to speak up. Uh, Like these movements grant power to people who have traditionally not had it, and when when they realize that there's actually a bunch of them, and they can get in support from like a huge group of other people through things like social media, it flips the power dynamics and gives the power back to you know these people who have traditionally not had it, and for, to great results, right? Like this is, you know, it's not just the games industry. It's many industries now that have, you know, cleaned house and like done a lot of soul searching about how how they've been operating and how, what what kinds of behaviors they've been tolerating. Uh, and so it's very encouraging to me to see it, ha- it happen to the games industry and to kind of free the voices of these people who felt, you know, silenced and unable to... to find justice or to speak about what's been happening to them in, in, you know, in, in every area, any industry, but it's obviously, hits very close to home in the, in the games industry. So, uh, as, as somebody who's building a studio, one is, uh, as a, as a person in a leadership position, I need to build a studio where people feel comfortable coming and talking to, you know, I, like ideally anybody, but you know, me, I, I, I can personally make it them feel more comfortable coming to me to say, Hey, look, there was stuff that I feel like could have gone better and if that's true then we can we could do stuff to to make stuff better but uh, you know even if it's not me somebody with the power to make stuff better should be able to find out about that and so if we have a culture where people feel safe to bring up issues then i think that helps a lot that really you know gives us more opportunities to avoid scenarios where people don't feel like they have you know an outlet to to express when things have gone badly or things need to be doing better you know the way we craft our policies to you know Reduce opportunities for stuff to go badly, right? The way we build our culture to, you know, what matters to us. And then also the way we build our studio, right? We focus, uh, I think, I think it's in, in a studio that's traditionally been so dominated by straight white dudes, you know, we're like, we're like coming from a losing position on being like a really diverse industry. But I think, you know, as as a studio who this this matters a lot to us, I think diverse perspectives really help us make better games. Um, you know, it's something that we we spend like a like a really a lot of time trying to figure out how to make better hiring practices or or you know get uh encourage, you know, new new groups of people who are traditionally not you know, from those groups to, you know, become game developers and and join our company. Uh those are really important to to as, as far as trying to make the industry better in these ways.
0: Yeah, I think a lot of startups, I think about this a lot now as a startup founder and building kind of our early team and our culture is, is it's so easy to get caught up kind of in how quickly everything moves and what's the next KPI, what's the next thing we've got to tackle, especially when you're kind of a smaller team, and you don't have the resources of a AAA game developer to at your disposal to outsource or whatever else, it, it's so easy to like get caught up that you don't take that time to th- kind of step back and think more broadly, what else is happening around us? How are people feeling here? Right? Like, and so like, even if you don't intentionally mean to not lead empathetically, you just, it just like kind of crosses your mind and, and, and escapes you. Uh, even if it's not in malice, are you all doing things that as a new studio to sort of have that time to, to, you know, reflect on what you're doing, to have those open conversations amongst each other about, whether it's the lowest or entry level employee all the way up to the leadership like you having those broader conversations of what you want second dinner to be and how, how things work.
2: Yeah. I want to, one of the things I really value about like people in general, but I think it's, we're really lucky to have a bunch of people like this at second dinner is that uh, I think it's great when people feel uh, like they can speak truth to power and say, Hey, look, this thing didn't go the way I thought it should go. I think we missed an opportunity Here to, you know, get an even broader pool of candidates that maybe would have allowed us to, maybe the best person would have been, you know, somebody who's just, you know, a little bit different background than everybody else. Um, And uh, I think those things, we we, we have a a bunch of people like that. And and I think we have a, a culture where people do on the whole feel comfortable talking about that kind of stuff. But also we do stuff like, hey, look, let's make our hiring practices just like the best. And so let's, you know, anybody who wants to raise their hand and be part of a strike team to review all our hiring practices and make recommendations on how to improve them so that we can, you know, just be, you know, just like industry leading in these ways, like everybody's welcome. And so we have a bunch of people from, you know, all over the company, from every discipline and from every seniority level who care a lot about it, right? It's very interesting. When you're in a really Mm -hmm. small studio, like you can much more easily feel a lot of ownership over, you know, not just the things that you're directly doing, but like, we're, we're not trying to just build a game here. We're trying to build a studio, right? We're four and a half years old. We're pretty new. And throughout this whole experience, you know, what are good policies, right? Like, what is it? What should our, you know, how should we handle, you know, all these things that companies have to figure out how they how they, how they run themselves. And it's, uh, you know, we're very lucky to have a, a a studio that's
0: very bought in on being a great place to work. I appreciate the candor in that answer as well. Um, We'll take first audience question. I had had somebody write this one out. Uh, This is from Stephen Asarch, who is a former reporter at Newsweek. Uh, Stephen asks, sets four and five just got released with cards trickling out every other week or so. Knowing I'll probably never see these cards or it will take months to maybe get one. It de-incentivizes me to care about them. How are you dealing with player frustrations around the drop of these sets?
2: Well, I think you know the one of the biggest things that we've done recently is that we've added this token shop, and the idea is you can get the cards that you want most right like we're not expecting players to get all the cards you don't need all the cards right like you're not you're building a 12 card deck, not a hundred and fifty six card deck or whatever right you need you need the 12 cards that you think are going to be the most effective and so I, you know ideally players can save their tokens. And, you know, like not every card that comes out is going to be good or is going to be necessary for the type of deck that you want to build. And so, you know, we imagine players uh, uh, take, you know, get going and targeting the exact cards they're looking for and uh, not having to get every single one that's uh, coming on the pipeline. And, you know, there's, you know, at at basically every point, I think players are going to want more stuff faster. Uh, And so, you know, we'll, we'll continue to be paying attention to like, what's the right, what's the right version of that, right? Should we do, should we do, you know, we still want there to be goals, right? If the, there was you know, a moment where some players just had, had unlocked all the cards and there's just nothing left to achieve at that point. And so we do want there to be new things that you haven't done yet. We want there to be cards you don't have, right? we'd like, it's more fun to, to look to the future and imagine this fun time where you achieve some new goals. And so I think it's uh, getting the right balance there is really important, but the token shop helps us a lot for people who, Trying to be competitive and get that, you know, the card that 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 uh, it's the last thing they're looking for for their deck.
0: Well, his uh, his retort on that was, "I spent all my tokens on Thanos, so maybe I'm just a little salty." And I have to say that Thanos is maybe the worst six drop card in my opinion among the really. Th- oh yeah, I don't, know, like, him. I I think I don't think like it. I don't like it. Oh, <laughs> I think oh, that card wow. is just not good right the hot now. Tinks! Hot chicks,
1: hot chicks. <laughs> maybe.
0: Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. I don't. I don't like him. I don't like him. So uh, too much setup. Just too much yeah. setup. <laughs> so so Pray, our producer here, had a question for you as well. He's also been a wifeing snap uh like like me as well. And and it, Pram, if this has something to do with the toilet, I commend you. Um but, but go ahead. Please. <laughs> of course it does. <laughs> please, Prame, okay. go ahead with your question. <laughs> so
1: as someone who's been playing way too much snap, uh I really enjoyed Mikhail Klementov's article uh from Launcher about how playing Snap on the toilet made him wonder is it bad to be playing this much of anything or doing this much of anything on the toilet? So I have to ask you, what is your thought on making a game so good that made someone question their gastroenterological health as a result of it?
2: Uh, You know, this is no, this is not a new experience for me. So uh, in fact, it was, it it was a, uh, a thing that was something was in my mind when we were starting work on snap, a friend of mine, was playing Hearthstone and the way he his, his play pattern was he played on the toilet and you know he was at work and he was playing control warrior and he queued into another control warrior. It ended up being a 40 minute match, which is like ridiculous. And at the end of the match, he stood up and his legs had fallen asleep and he collapsed on the floor and broke his leg. And oh my uh, God. this is at work. This is at work. It's like funnily bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt a little responsible, you know, like uh, you know, I, helped, uh, I helped build Hearthstone. So, uh you know when we were thinking about like you know what, what do we do what, what's our what's our new game, game gonna be you know this experience that is not 40 minutes long and won't won't accidentally cripple you you know it was very exciting to us right something that you could you know bang out in a couple minutes which you know is maybe the length of time that you were you should be spending anyway on the, on the can it's uh you know it's not too bad
0: well, thank you, Ben, very much for uh, coming on the show. <laughs> much appreciated. I'm glad Prime ended us out on that one, but uh, we, wish you the, we wish you the best. We wish you the best with Snap. We know you got to bounce, but thank you so much for coming on the show.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me. It's been a lot of fun. Really appreciate it.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Thank you again to Ben for the interview. If you enjoyed this episode of Visionaries, you can find more like it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And please, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It's immensely helpful to helping others find this show. Special thanks to Sammy Daig, Prem Thadamkara, and Eric Jakowitz for their help with this episode. We'll be back on Wednesday with an interview with Code Miko, the wildly popular VTuber, and the winner of the most recent Streamy Awards. For visionaries and everyone here at Overcome, thanks for listening, and we will see you next time.